0: Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11. We heard this morning about the importance of delighting in the law of the Lord. My guess is that when you read through your Bibles, when you come to passages like Leviticus 11, it's probably the sort that you have the most trouble figuring out, how am I supposed to delight in this? Well, hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus chapter 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that has not fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. "'You shall regard them as detestable. "'You shall not eat any of their flesh, "'and you shall detest their carcasses. "'Everything in the waters that has not fins and scales "'is detestable to you. "'And these you shall detest among the birds.' They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat." All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening, and he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground. The mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose, it must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until the evening, then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten, on which water comes, shall be unclean, and all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean, and everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean, whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make yourself detestable with any swarming thing that swarms and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord, your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. This is the word of the Lord. When we, when we think nowadays about clean and unclean, we tend to think of those terms in terms of just, oh, that was back in the Old Testament, and that's sort of, we don't really think about the way clean and unclean still function. But of course, clean and unclean still have a there's still ways in which every culture has certain things that you don't do, you don't talk about, you don't... There's there's still the taboos of any culture still play a role. Because what's going on with clean and unclean in Leviticus? In Leviticus 10, we had heard that the, the priests were told to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. Basically, everything is distinguished between... There's the holy and there's the common. And then within the common, there's the clean and the unclean. Some common things are clean. Some common things are unclean. Now, it's worth saying out loud that clean and unclean are not the same thing as good and evil. All of these creatures we're talking about were made by God. They're all good creatures, but some of them are clean. Some of them are unclean. What's the difference? Well, to put it simply... That which is clean can be is is it can can move towards the holy. That which is unclean is going the opposite direction. Basically, the the if there's a spectrum between life and death, and the unclean things are moving in the direction of death, and and it's where it's where the. Uh, the cleanness has to do with a ceremonial or ritual purity required in order to come in contact with the holy. If you are unclean, then you cannot come in contact with the holy if it's, If you are clean, then you can come in contact with the holy. When we consider the things that are called holy in Leviticus uh, we 've heard about the sanctuary being called holy in Leviticus six the the priests and, and the crown of the high priest is called his holy crown and the the holy garments the priest 's portion from the grain offering is said to be holy Leviticus two the sin offering the priest's portion from the sin offering Leviticus six the priest's portion from the guilt offering in Leviticus seven and later we 'll hear about the the fruit of a fruit tree is Holy in the fourth year, and therefore not to be eaten by Israel. We'll talk about that when we get to Leviticus 19. But Leviticus 27 speaks of how vows can render a person, an animal, or even a house holy to the Lord. What what does it mean to be holy? We, we, We oftentimes think of holiness purely as an ethical concept, where we think of it as in terms of, ah, to be holy means to be doing the right thing. No, that's not holy. To be holy means to belong to the Lord. When God says to Israel, be holy for I am holy, it is because Israel is set apart for God's own use. The whole community is holy because it belongs to the Lord. That's what it means to be holy. It means, to, which which has ethical implications. But holiness is not first and foremost about what do you do. Holiness has to do with who are you? In term, especially when, when Leviticus is talking about the holy and the common. The holy is that which belongs to God. The common is the everything that is not specifically designated as belonging to God. And then the common has two categories. The clean, which is capable of becoming holy. And the unclean, which is not. So, cleanness is a prerequisite for holiness. But... Cleanness and uncleanness are not mutually exclusive. Uncleanness is not inherently sinful. For instance, in in Numbers 19, there's a, a ceremony with the red heifer. The red heifer is used in preparing the water of purification, which the priest who offers this heifer becomes unclean. The ashes of the heifer make the priest's Helper unclean. But the ashes of the heifer that make the priest's helper unclean is used in the water of purification that makes people clean. And you're like, huh? Wait, I thought you said it made it unclean. Right, it makes you unclean to prepare it, but it makes you clean to receive it. What? It has nothing to do with the inherent nature of these ashes, it has to do with how the priest and his assistant take the uncleanness upon themselves so that the sacrifice can render others clean a person can become unclean in leviticus by doing anything really that renders them unfit to worship god uh, uncleanness is not is not particularly a, a sort of a a moral condition. It's a physical condition. A person who is unclean must change their clothes and wash and they will be unclean until the evening. That's just, there's nothing you can do to hasten the process. This is simply you have come in contact with something unclean. Therefore you are unclean until the evening. What's it? What is it about evening that changes a person? Simply, this is what God says about that. It's he's teaching Israel about What does it mean to be, to enter into the presence of God? What does it mean to ascend the hill of the Lord? Some may think that this sort of ritual understanding of of cleanness would have contributed to a purely external religion. Oh, it's all about the outward things. Now, that was never God's intent. And the Psalms demonstrate that, that many Israelites understood the point. When David asks, who may dwell on God's holy hill, Psalm 15, he doesn't say, oh, those who go through all the ceremonial regulations and make sure... No, he actually says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Likewise, when Psalm 24 asks, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He says, well, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In other words, the psalmists understood that all this stuff about the external cleanness was teaching Israel about what it means to be pure of heart. As God says in our own chapter here in Leviticus 11, be holy for I am holy. Now, here we're, we're focusing tonight on animals. What animals are clean or unclean? Which, in a large part, means which animals can be eaten by Israel versus which animals should not be eaten. Now, what were the wh- why? What's the what are the, what are the how, how do you make sense of why can they eat some animals but not others? Some some tried to argue that the that this is about reasons of health, and that so there's there's health reasons for why certain animals are unclean. Now, it's it's certainly true that some of the animals named uh, could have there could be health health reasons, but for many of them there's no obvious health reason, uh, and other reasons are more compelling. Some argue it was. These animals were used in pagan religions. You know, the pig was a sacrificial animal for the Babylonians and Canaanites. In Egypt and Iran, many believed the dog to be sacred. But uh, the problem is is that virtually every animal had some use in some pagan religion. Cows and, and goats were regularly sacrificed in pagan religion. But you can sacrifice those and they're clean. So it's not enough to say, oh, they have some pagan connection. There's got to be some better reason. And that's why I started with understanding the relationship between clean and holy. In order to be set apart for the Lord's worship, for his service, in order to participate in the covenant blessings, a person must be clean. You see, people can be either clean or unclean, depending on circumstances. Certain animals, I mean, animals are either clean or unclean. That's just they they fit into one category or the other people can be either clean or unclean depending on circumstances. So watch the animals and think about what does that say about us? Your proper function is to live as a member of the covenant community. Your proper function is you were made in God's image. You were made to belong to him. And so there's a way in which the proper function of various sorts of animals, uh, is a part of the story. As we as we go through, we'll see some of how the t- the text actually points to this in terms of some of the things that that proper function plays a role in. Uh, the problem, of course, is that the fall has brought all mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Uh, we sometimes forget about the misery. I mean, not really in this personal sense. We all experience misery just fine, thank you. But we neglect to reflect on how our misery. Creates distance from God. To be clean means to be fit for the presence of God. To be holy means that one belongs to God. What is clean is closer to the life of God, what is unclean is closer to death, chaos, and misery. Moses speaks of the land animals in, in verses 1 through 8 and speaks of these, how Israel could eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and choose the cud. Now, it's, it's worth pointing out that neither the hare nor the rabbit actually choose the cud, but they both make the same sort of motions with their mouth. And Moses is not giving scientific descriptions, but one based on popular observation. So the ox, the sheep, the goat and various deer and such are clean animals uh, and then others that, that don't sort of function properly amongst the land animals are unclean. It's important to note, of course, that when it comes to uh, clean and unclean is only a distinction among animals. Things that have breath. Plants, Plants are all clean. There's no such thing as an unclean plant. So now, you might say, well, you know, poison oak is clean. Absolutely. Don't recommend eating it. Um, <laughs> but the distinction between clean and unclean is not a moral distinction. It's not saying good or bad. It's saying the clean animals are those that, re- that, that may be used in, for, for, for human consumption. And the unclean animals are, might say, heading the opposite direction. And so when Moses speaks of the sea creatures, the definition of a clean sea creature was that it has fins and scales. Fish are supposed to have fins and scales. Israel is being taught to distinguish between clean and unclean, between the holy and the unholy. They must be different from the nations around them. And while some of these distinctions may seem arbitrary, God is doing this for a purpose, Shellfish and other sea creatures that lack either fins or scales are declared detestable. Now, detestable in the scriptures generally refers to something associated with idolatry. So, Israel could not worship the Lord and eat unclean fish. To eat, to eat lobster was an act of apostasy, it's basically it's a, it's, it's basically to, to, to say I'm worshiping another god. Uh, now, detestable appears in a couple other passages in in the Old Testament, both of which connect detestable things with idolatry. In Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, 17 says, it speaks of those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination, the detestable things, and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. That those who, yeah, those who eat bacon um, are, are engaging in detestable practices Ezekiel 8, where the Lord takes Ezekiel in a vision to Jerusalem, where he sees the elders of Jerusalem offering incense to idols, and there engraved on the wall of the temple was every form of creeping thing and loathsome beasts, detestable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel. What these references to detestable things connects that is when is when israel refuses to distinguish between the clean and the unclean when israel refuses to see that that they are yeah the detestable things are associated with idolatry they are associated with turning away from the lord ignoring his law ignoring his his way of, of living and thir- moses also speaks of the birds in verses 13 to 19 now, Many of these birds, we can't identify. We, tra- translators do their best. They're like, they, tra- they more or less guess at, well, we know they had these sorts of birds and we have this list of names, so we're just going to guess. Uh, so that's why different translations will often have very different names in different orders. Uh, they're guessing. But the, but the ones that we do know are all birds of prey, carrion birds, scavengers that feed upon flesh. Israel may not eat of any flesh-eating bird, And then Moses speaks of insects, and he says that they are all detestable, except winged insects that walk on all fours. Now, I know some of you may have chuckled at that point, because, well, there are no insects that walk on all fours. Insects have six legs, not four. But, uh, again, he's not giving scientific descriptions. Um, But... All insects are detestable except winged insects with, uh, that walk on all fours which have jointed legs, the locust, the cricket, the grasshopper. So the picture being that the clean are these certain ones that you might say the proper function and then unclean things, the detestable things, are all others. Verses 24 to 43 then talk about how... Things render you unclean. So, And what do you do about the uncleanness that comes from contact with unclean animals? To touch an unclean animal or its carcass renders you unclean. Now, it's again important to say, it's not a sin to be unclean. Rather, when you are unclean, you are not fit to enter the worship of God. So it's not a sin to touch an unclean animal. But the contaminating contact with that which is not proper requires purification. And whoever touches such an unclean animal must wash his clothes and remain unclean until evening. And if a dead, unclean animal touches anything, it also becomes unclean until evening and must be put into water. So, basically, you you soak it, it. But... Now you may have noticed the earthenware vessel that touches something unclean must be broken. Uh, a clay pot can 't be can 't be you can 't wash the stain off of it, so therefore you just smash it and it 's done now you, verses thirty six to thirty eight are particularly interesting because it says that a spring or a cistern remains clean so this is where for instance, when when I was in Eritrea in East Africa, uh, I had a cistern at the, where I would get my water. Uh, we had a rule at the at the clinic that we always would uh, boil our water. I, I, I generally had no problem remembering this because when I went to dip water out of the cistern, there'd be dozens of, of dead or living frogs floating in my cistern. Um, so as I'm carefully getting my water out of the cistern and trying to make sure no frogs wind up in my five-gallon bucket. Um, you better believe that by the time I got back to the, my, my my little house, I was in no mood to drink that water until it had been boiled thoroughly. Oh, has it been long enough yet? No, let's give it another five minutes. Uh, so there was no danger I was ever going to drink frog water. So anything that has been contaminated by de- a dead animal, uh, is, you see, part of it is, this is, the, this is the part of the passage that convinces me that this is not about health because if this was about health a cistern that has dead animals floating in it should be unclean because you could get really sick from drinking that water but it says that even if you got dead animals floating in the water that's still clean now why? why? part of it is like we saw this morning Water is really precious in Israel. If you have to destroy a cistern just because it has, it's had a dead animal floating in it, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to... So, there's partly a practical reason for it, but there's a theological reason for it too. Water remains clean. You may have noticed that seed grain remains clean through its contact with the carcass. So as long as there's two th- these two situations: you, water remains clean with a carcass, seed grain remains clean, even though a carcass has touched it, unless the seed grain and water have been mixed. If the seed grain has water in it, then it becomes unclean. So it's curious. Water is so clean that the carcass of an unclean dead animal cannot contaminate it. Seed grain is so clean that the carcass of an unclean dead animal cannot contaminate it. But if you combine the water and the seed grain, then it can be contaminated. Why? Well, remember that water is used for cleansing the unclean. It makes sense that water cannot be ritually contaminated. If water got contaminated, how could water become useful for cleaning? And the seed grain, actually think about Jesus' comments about unless the seed dies, it cannot bring new life. So the seed is dead, and you can't contaminate something that's dead. Seed grain, in, in this way of thinking, is, is dead. But what happens when seed grain and water come together? Now you have life beginning. So if seed grain and water come together, you now have life And life can be contaminated by the death, by death. Wet grain can become unclean because wet grain is becoming living. Verses 39 and 40 then specify that even a clean animal can make you unclean. If the clean animal dies, then it becomes unclean. This is part of why I said uncleanness is a moving toward death. Cleanness is a moving toward life. And then in verses 41 to 43, Moses returns to the, to the description of unclean animals. All swarming things are detestable. Every reptile, those that go on its belly, those that walk on multiple legs, detestable, should not be eaten. To eat such a creature would be to defile yourself. If you Think back to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Serpents and other swarming creatures are unclean because they defile you. Now, Why does Moses put this after the section on purification? Well, it's because he's coming up to verse 44. He's putting swarming things in contrast to the holiness of God. For I am the Lord your God, verse 44. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. In contrast to the serpent in the garden, Israel is to be holy, not just clean. Israel is called to belong to God. Israel is called to be his own people. Eve listened to the serpent. You are to have nothing to do with serpents. And Moses concludes by saying, this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. These these food laws have to do with the holiness of Israel. Those who worship God must be clean. Now, how should we think about these things? Well, Jesus does some interesting things with the food laws. If you look at Mark chapter 7, and it might, might be useful to turn over there, because in Mark 7, Jesus calls the people to himself in Mark 7, 14, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. In the very act, I mean, Jesus here declares all foods clean, Mark tells us. In one sense, Mark makes it very easy for us. It's... Mark doesn't do this very often where he just sort of like explains. Oh, by the way, here's what Jesus is doing here. But it's interesting because in the very act of setting aside the letter of the Mosaic regulation, Jesus brings the equity of that law to bear on the hearts of God's people. Because the point of these laws was to teach Israel about what it means to be holy. That in order to be holy, one must be clean. One must be prepared for consecrated for entrance into God's presence and then it's actually it's no accident that there in Mark 7 that teaching then is followed by the healing of a Gentile woman's daughter in verse 24 Jesus arose and went away from there and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet he could not be hidden but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit you may recall that that's a common way of putting, talk about evil spirit, an unclean spirit, a spirit that's moving towards death. But this woman who, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That that's a line that many have been offended by. Whoa, I mean, Jesus is calling her a dog. Well, maybe actually Gentiles were unclean, and this is where this is and dogs were unclean. So it's not quite it's it's not the same sort of insult it would be today. It may be worse, but um, dogs were not pets in those days. But but she answered him, "Yes, Lord." Yet, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's like, yeah, okay, fine. I'm a dog. I'm okay with that. But I'm your dog. (laughs) And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Mark is highlighting the connection between these two events by putting them right side by side. Jesus is you know, did not openly repudiate the food laws, although he did show that. I mean, Mark says by saying this, he declared all foods clean, but but he showed how holiness could no longer be defined, cleanness and uncleanness in Jew Gentile terms. In Acts chapter ten, Jesus comes to Peter and makes this explicit. Because in Acts 10, verse 9, as Peter is approaching Cornelius' house, Cornelius being a Gentile, uh, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the the heavens opened and, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time What God has made clean, do not call common. So Peter went to the house of Cornelius, an uncircumcised Gentile, and the Holy Spirit was given to the uncircumcised. When the church in Jerusalem heard about this, they were ready to condemn Peter. But Peter explains in Acts 11 what had happened. He said, he said, if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, when when the Gentiles are included in Christ, God is breaking down the barriers between Jew and Gentile. The point of Israel's distinctiveness, of Israel's all these rules about clean and unclean, was fulfilled in our Lord Jesus, who is the Holy One, who was set apart for the service of God. Because Jesus raised clean hands before the Father, his sacrifice was accepted. He was the most holy offering to the Lord. And because God has vindicated Jesus and seated him at his right hand, Jesus now says these food laws are now obsolete. Now, that doesn't make them irrelevant. Think about how Paul applies the food laws to the situation of the Christians in Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8. Because in the first century, there are many Jewish Christians who had tender consciences with respect to unclean foods. And Paul says that it's true. All foods are clean, but Christians should respect each other's consciences in this matter. It's easy for us to say, oh, Jesus said all, you know, bacon's clean. If you don't agree with that, you're rejecting the plain word of the Lord. Now, Paul doesn't take that attitude. If some Jewish Christian thinks of certain foods as unclean, don't make us think about it. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, Paul also insists that the weaker brother may not use this against the stronger brother. The, the implication is simply don't eat bacon around the one who thinks it's unclean. But eat your bacon at home. But in, in, the, implica- the, the parallel would be if you're having a church potluck and you've got somebody, make sure it's labeled. That way they know, okay, it's I don't want to eat that one. Um, if he condemns you for eating pork, then he's wrong. But if you are sort of trying to force feed pork on him, then you are wrong. It has nothing to do with personal preference. It It has to do with how do we love one another. Because... The the point of all these food laws is, it's actually what we saw in Colossians 2, where where Paul said, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The food laws are about Jesus. Israel had to learn to distinguish between the clean and the unclean because that which is clean is that which is preparing for entering into the presence of God, ascending the hill of the Lord. And Israel had to learn about the contaminating power of the flesh. All of, the, all of that language about how, how coming in contact with dead animals renders you unclean is a reminder that coming in contact with the unclean is, is drawing you towards death. As every time an Israelite became unclean, he was reminded that he needed cleansing. When he, as he washed his clothes, he would see a picture of, of the washing that he himself needed. As he distinguished between clean and unclean, he would remember that he needed to be different from the nations. He needed to be holy, for God is holy. But those shadows have passed. The light of the glory of Christ has now dawned. We don't live in the shadows anymore. For us, all foods are clean. But Peter, in First Peter 1, will, will echo, indeed, quote, Leviticus. But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, it's, but we need to, we need to hear that in the light of what Jesus has taught us. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out. Because what Jesus is teaching us is that it's about our hearts. How are we listening to what God has said? And how are we putting it into practice? That as we think about the food laws, it's not. The food, the food laws should remind us of the importance of our need to be holy as God is holy. Our for the need for us to, that we belong to him. And if we belong to him, then our lives, our words, our deeds should reflect His holiness. That our our lives should as he is holy, that we also should be holy, so let 's pray, Lord, help us, because we so often forget your word and we move away from that which is holy, and we move towards that which is unclean, and we move towards death. Lord, have mercy on us, because as we when we think seriously about what we're doing, we 're doing, we acknowledge that your ways are right and when we refuse to follow them, we find out how right they are. So, Lord, have mercy on us and help us to remember your word, that we might remember what you have done in Jesus, that you have, you have not left us in our sin and misery. You have not left us in our uncleanness, but you have cleansed us by the washing of water with the word that we might be yours that we might belong to your Son, our Lord Jesus, help us to live as as a community that shows forth the the holiness of of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might belong to you that we might be yours forever and Lord, have mercy and, and help us to be a place where those who are who are beaten down by the the brutality of our age would be able to find refuge and find comfort and find peace that those who are afflicted would would be brought near to you here that as we, as we humble ourselves and walk before you that we would, we would live in such a way before the watching world that they, might, that they might ask for the reason for the hope that is in us. May we always be ready to with an answer showing forth the goodness of our Savior that we might, that we might bear witness to, to the Holy One who sits at your right hand even your Son, our Savior in whose name we pray. Amen.